But this morning, the title of the message is called The Missional Mentality. The Missional Mentality. Um, you probably grew up, some of you did, along with me, watching uh, Mission Impossible. Uh, you know, the, the kind of a cutting-edge, exciting kind of espionage, CIA kind of show on TV. And then it developed into a movie series with uh, Tom Cruise. And uh, we, we, we think about the mission of the church. And too many times in America, we immediately shift into going to a foreign country. We think about missionaries that we support and pray for. And we think about different cultures than ours. And really, that is not at all what the Scripture is talking about when it talks about uh, the church being on mission. And I want to talk to you about that this morning and help bring some clarification to the mission that we have here in the Delta. Uh, This series is called Victory Values. I felt led of the Lord to do this one myself. Uh, Pray for me next Sunday. I will not be here. There will be one service, and Pastor Jeremy is going to preach a standalone message, not in this series. Uh, but I'll be in a U-Haul driving furniture to Manhattan to Abby's uh, new apartment that she's moving into and so then flying back later in the week and we'll be back in the pulpit the next week. But we have five messages in this series called Victory Values and I really felt like that though I have a wonderful time, we have an amazing preaching team, I truly with all my heart believe we have the best preaching team of any church in the Mid-South. Love Pastor Jeremy, love Pastor Haley. Thank you for all of your encouragement for me as well and just those others that we're, we're developing, Chris Wilson, Johnny Powell, and others that will be coming along with us, some other brothers, some other sisters, to be prophetic voices in the house. We're excited to see what all the Lord is doing. I believe God's going to raise up a generation that will do what this series text says, if you'll put that up for me. Just stay seated, but read it out loud with me. This people I have formed for myself, they shall... Okay, punch your neighbor and say, wake up. Y'all are a little bit lethargic in how you're reading that this morning. I don't know how you can talk like that after we just sang those amazing worship songs. Now, come on, with all your heart, say it with me. Here we go. This people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. The old King James says, show forth, and it's spelled S-H-E-W, which means to demonstrate or a manifestation of the praise of God. The people of God, in this passage, prophetically in Isaiah, is speaking of the literal nation of Israel. But I believe that we are not illegitimate in interpreting this prophetically to see the church as spiritual Israel, as the people of God, bought by the blood of the Lamb, purchased by the Lamb of God, known before the foundation of the world, predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren, Romans eight twenty nine. The church is the people in the earth that God has called to show forth His praise, to declare His praise. This is not just 20 minutes through three songs on a Sunday when we raise our hands in worship or we clap our hands in praise or whatever, or sing or shout or give our testimony or whatever we do that's praising God in the literal sense. But it's more metaphorically, I believe, it speaks to the larger picture of all of our lives that we are to be a living demonstration, that we have been, thank God, called out of darkness and into His marvelous light. The Scripture says that we should show forth the praises of Him who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. We're to be a people who live lifestyles according to the Word and the will of God 
that demonstrate to people what it means to be a people called out, called out of darkness into light, called out of sin into righteousness, called out of sickness into walking in God's provision and His blessing. doesn't mean we won't ever get sick, but it means we can trust God for Him to touch and heal us. doesn't mean we won't ever lack, but we can trust God to meet our needs because He is our shepherd and the scripture says, I won't lack anything. I won't want for anything. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Okay. So our lives are to be a demonstration, declaring the praises of God to the people that see them. This should be a message on our lips, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. That is the gospel. All right, Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. This is the text for the message today called the missional mentality. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to, to stand up out of your comfortable spot, and let's lift this one up together. Here we go. Let's read. And they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God, say it, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God and they will reign up in heaven. What does it say? They will reign where? Is that in your Bible? Check it. Make sure it says it just like that. And they will, a kingdom of priests. So we are called kings and priests unto God. And we will reign on the earth. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you that it is eternal. All flesh is as grass. The glory of man is the flower of grass. It all passes away. Heaven and earth may pass away, but your word is eternal. It is everlasting. It will never pass away. Let your words be in my mouth and let it be in our hearts. Let it be in our hearing and our ears. I ask you today, oh God, to help me. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. I acknowledge before you and everyone listening that I am eternally desperate and need you more than I've ever needed you before. Right now, be in my words and my thoughts. Lord, be a teacher in the hearing of your people. Be their ears and eyes to hear and see and perceive and comprehend so that we might apply the word of the Lord and that we would be doers and not hearers only. We'll be careful to give you the praise for all the glory goes unto you, the matchless, incomparable, strong name of, and everybody say it, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. One more thing I want you to say out loud with me, the one thing, and then we'll jump in. Here we go. God's purpose is his kingdom. The message is the gospel, and the instrument is the church. We are called to bring heaven to earth. One more time, like you mean it. God's purpose is his kingdom. The message is the gospel. And the instrument is the church. We are called to bring heaven to earth. Somebody says, I don't know about that. Now, wait a minute. But now, let's just go back to the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Where? On earth. Where? As it is. In heaven. So as in heaven, so on earth. As it is in heaven. We are called to bring the rule of God. We are called to bring the peace of God. The instrument that that comes through is the message of the gospel and the instrument is the church. The kingdom of God is what it's all about. That is His eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord before the world began, Ephesians 3 says. 
Value number one we began last week was that we intentionally create an environment. That environment is kingdom-focused, it is gospel-driven, it is presence-centered, and it is grace-based relationships. The kingdom is about His lordship and government. The gospel is the message that His kingdom has come and He's king right now. The presence of God is that connection, that nowness of God's person moving and working here in our lives, birthing people that don't know the Lord that are far away, bringing them near by the blood of Christ, Ephesians 2 says, and causing them to be born again by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, Not of works, lest any man should boast. And finally, it is grace-based. We must learn to live and walk in grace one with another. We love each other. We have mercy on one another because He first loved us. I don't love first and then God loves me. The Bible says in 1 John, we love because He first, say it, loved us. And so it is from that injection of God's nature, from the investment of His love to us in pouring out His love literally upon the cross and shedding the blood, the unique blood of the uniquely begotten Son of God. He has shown us what love is. Now this morning, as we move from we intentionally created an environment, then we want to say the next step up. If you'd put up the on the front of your bulletin or the actual graphic for the series, if you would, go ahead and put up the stair steps in the very beginning. You'll see environment at the bottom. And then we're going to take the step up today to embrace We intentionally create an environment where we embrace. Everybody say embrace. Value number two today is embrace diversity in our community. We're going to embrace diversity in our community. Diversity means different. It means they don't sound the same. They don't look the same. They probably have different beliefs and ideas than you or I do. They certainly might come from a different flavor of sin than you or might, I might have. And so we want to recognize this morning that God has sent us on mission. And how can we get that understanding? Point number one, we need to get back to our roots. Everybody say roots. I remember in the 70s when Alex Haley's book became a movie. We all saw it uh, on TV on the little small screen over a protracted period of time. And it was the story uh, being traced from the mid-Atlantic slave trade from Africa over to the, uh, the Western world, the New World, uh, North America, South America, Central America, that whole region that began to be populated by people that had been snatched from their families on the Western slave coast of Africa and brought to uh, America, to the Americas, North and South and Central. And I, I think that the church is in desperate need to connect once again to what our roots were found in the New Testament church. I think that we begin by telling a little story this morning in the, the usage of the word. I want to talk about that today from the New Testament. In, in Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19, this is Peter and the disciples and Jesus. Actually, his name is Simon at this point. He's about to get a name change because Jesus is going to be highly impressed with the response that Peter has, or Simon has, to a question that Jesus himself poses. He asks the question, he says, Whom do men say that I am? And they respond by saying, some say Esaias, which is another way of saying Isaiah, Jeremiah, Elijah. 
uh, various representations of the prophets of old. And so Jesus hears all of their responses. Then he laser beams this thing down into their individual hearts and he says, okay, that's what everybody else is saying, but whom do you say that I am? That's the critical question that every human on the planet has to answer at some point in your life. And the answer that you come to, the conclusion that you make, can affect your eternal destiny based on who you know Jesus to be. Has he been revealed to you as what Peter's response is? He says, Peter answers and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus' response is, wow. Peter moved to the head of the class because flesh and blood have not revealed. Everybody say revealed. Flesh and blood have not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven has revealed this unto you. Okay, And he says, now at this point, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock, everybody say rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Go ahead. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Sounds like what we started out with, as in heaven, so on earth. He says, whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. So there is a power in your words that is connected to the relationship with whom he has been revealed to you, this Christ, this Son of the living God. He says, I'm going to put keys in your hands that are going to enable you to rule. This is important that we look at this. Go back to the verse prior, if you would, verse 18. And he says, now you are Peter. Now there are two Greek words that are used for rock here, and they're not the same. I don't want to be offensive in any kind of way to anyone who might come from a Roman Catholic background, but they've purported the idea that Peter was the first bishop of Rome, the first pope, and that it was upon him, he was the foundation upon which the church was built. And certainly all the apostles and prophets, of Ephesians 2.20 says, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, certainly we build on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. I agree with that. But to make Peter a pope uh, after the fact is a far stretch. And the, just a simple understanding of looking at the Greek here, because there are two words. One word for rock is this idea of a massive, near unscalable cliff like Gibraltar or like the north face of Everest or, uh, let's say, the Rocky Mountains. But then he uses another word when he, when he names Peter, and that word rock means pebble. How many know there's a huge difference between a pebble that's small enough to fit in your shoe and cause some discomfort and an unscalable cliff or a mountain range. I, I, I'm reminded of that image that Nebuchadnezzar had in a dream in Daniel chapter 2 where he saw the image of gold and the neck of silver and the chest and the belly of bronze and the legs and the feet of iron and clay and this mixture and this was just this big, huge symbol which a lot of people have tried to ascribe some prophetic understanding to in terms of kingdoms. And, and, and I believe all that's uh, fulfilled prophecy. Uh, and the fact is, is that the Bible says there was a stone that was cut out of the mountain that came hurling, came rolling down the mountain, and it crashed into the, to this, this icon, to this idol, and it literally became nothing. And the Bible says, and the stone grew until it covered the face of the whole earth. And the, the, the Scripture literally says that that stone is the coming kingdom of God. How many of you know that Jesus literally is that rock that came crashing down out of the heavens, the mountains of heaven, and literally caused to 
to fall to the pieces. All of the attempts of man to build his kingdom and his strength. And Jesus has brought the kingdom that is going to finally cover the earth. The Bible says the glory of the Lord will, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Hebrews, Exodus, Habakkuk, numerous passages say that same thing. How many you know the glory of the Lord's coming? Somebody say amen. All right. Now, so he says, this that I want you to see is the revelation. It is not Peter that the church is built on, but it's what Peter got a hold of. Jesus says, Peter, flesh and blood have not, everybody say, revealed. Reveal this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven has revealed this unto you. And literally, the rock is the revelation of Christ's kingdom. Say that with me. The revelation of Christ's kingdom. The rock that the churches build on is the revelation of who Jesus is. We see Him as He is. Then He shows us who we are. We fall on our face before the cross and we are born again, a new creation. When, when you are born again into the kingdom of God, the kingdom has just grown in your life. It's just advanced. So I want you to recognize this morning that the message that God has called us to bring is the gospel, the good news, that He is King and Lord right now. And when I preach that, when I preach the kingdom, then Jesus will build His church. It's not about church growth theory or great programs. It, wonderful programs are great. It's, they, they, they help grow people. They help disciple people. They help bring people in. But ultimately, it's not all of our human efforts. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that the church is built by. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, the Greek word that was used, there are a lot of Greek words that describe gatherings or assemblies of people, gatherings of believers. Numerous other words could have been chosen, but the New Testament authors specifically chose this Greek word. Now, I want you to See, everybody say ecclesia. Say it with me. Ecclesia. Now, you can see the word ecclesia or ecclesiastical, which means uh, how church operates. Ecclesiology is the study of church government, okay? Uh, whether or not you are congregationally ruled or you're ruled by a bishop, uh, an executive, or you're ruled by elders, kind of a supreme court in the kingdom of God, so to speak. Interestingly enough, I wish I could stop and just teach a history lesson, but, but the, the, the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah says, the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king. And that literally is the judicial, the legislative, and the executive branches of the American government right there. Judge, lawgiver, not king, but we call him president. Okay, And not one of those branches of government has all the power. We put in what's called a system of checks and balances. But now the Bible says the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king. Now how many of you know when they began to come together to form the United States government, they realized no man can be trusted like the Lord who can be all of them. He is our, he is our judge, he is our lawgiver, he is our king. But man is not the Lord. Man is not God. Somebody say amen. So when they started talking about human government, they made sure that it didn't rest in one person. No matter who's in the White House and thinks they're king. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't rest in any one person. We've got a system of checks and balances. Well, when they used this term in the New Testament, they intentionally chose a legal governmental term which has to do with the Roman Senate. Romans, the Roman Senate was called the Ecclesia. These people were called out of the community, out of the citizenry to influence the nation and the empire. And so when the writers of the New Testament chose the word for church, 
They said, I want to communicate, we want to communicate with these people that they've been bought by the blood of the Lamb for the purpose to have been called out of darkness, out of sin, out of bondage, into light, into freedom, into righteousness, but they're called not just saved from something, but saved for something. They're saved to influence the the empire. It's called the kingdom of God. They're saved to influence the world. And I probably shouldn't have used empire because that brings all kinds of incorrect imagery to what I'm talking about regarding the kingdom, okay? Because we're not going in and just colonizing and taking over and and ransacking people. We're doing this from the bottom up with the love of Jesus. Somebody say amen, all right? His people are on mission. We are sent. We are missionaries. We are the apostolic church. Our, Our creeds say that we are one holy Catholic, little c, meaning universal, Catholic, apostolic, means we are sent by God. The Apostles' Creed has been recited across all the denominations for literally centuries, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and we recognize as apostolic people. Now, that doesn't mean a particular group that preaches what's called the oneness doctrine, but apostolic means that we are sent by God with the apostles. We are sent on a mission. Everybody say, I'm a missionary. Now, we're missionaries to the Delta. And if we're going to be effective in the Delta, we're going to have to understand what it means to embrace diversity in our community. God's purpose is His kingdom, the message is the gospel, and the instrument is the church. We are called to bring heaven to earth. Point number two is divine desegregation. Say that with me. Divine desegregation. Folks, heaven is not segregated. The church of Christ won't be over there, and the Catholics over here, and the Pentecostals over here. And I'll I'll just tell you, every one of those groups I just mentioned, I'm from one of them, taught us that we were the only ones going to heaven. How surprised are we all going to be when we get there and we find out there were folk that we didn't think were going to be there? How many know God's love is bigger than all of us? Somebody say amen. You better be thankful because He let you in. He bought you with His blood. All the mess in your jacked up nest that's in your life and mine too. Nobody in the room is perfect. We say it all the time. Jesus is the only one. Somebody, come on. Put your hands together and give Him praise this morning. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 16. This is the story of Peter on the roof at the house in Joppa. And he's, he's hungry and they're barbecuing outside and he's smelling it and he's ready to eat. And it says, the next day as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on a flat roof to pray. It was about noon. And he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. How many of you have been that hungry? Some of you might be cross-eyed right now going, I hope he preaches in a hurry today. i got to beat the Baptist to the buffet. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat them. Look at Peter's response. Say it with me. No, Lord. Those two words are mutually exclusive. Lord, you're the Lord of my life. Just tell me what to do. Oh, no. Are you you hearing this? Come on, come on. Some of you a little slow this morning. Stay with me. Come on. Look at Peter. He says, no. I, I like the King James. It says, not so, Lord. No way. Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. Verse 15, but the voice spoke again, says, dude, say it out loud with me, come on. Do not call something unclean if God has made it 
clean. Now, first of all, let me just let you in on a secret right now. This is not about Peter's diet. It's not about the food he was about to consume. It was about how he was dealing with people that were different than he is. Because he was literally living in a time where Israel thought they were supreme to everybody else. It was a little bit of Jewish supremacy. In the, in the Bible Belt South, we have a little bit of a lingering of kind of some white supremacy that kind of hangs around. Think we're better than anybody. And I don't want to offend you this morning, no matter what your color or your background, but if there's anything in you that you've been taught that you're better than anybody else, just go ahead and take that to the cross and let Jesus deal with that in your heart because that's a lie from the pit of hell. Ain't nobody in this room any better than anybody else. Come on, somebody. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good right now. Okay? Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. Verse 16, the same vision was repeated three times. How many of you know sometimes we don't get it the first time? Sometimes the Lord has to say, hey, hey, knucklehead, knock, knock. Anything in there? Anybody home? Are you hearing me, Petros? Come on, pebble boy. Can you hear me? Come on, Rocky. Wake up. Three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Well, we see the message here. We can't be prejudiced toward anybody or anything that is different than we are. We need to learn to embrace diversity in our community. Let's get one one more. I'll tell you what, before I go there. The first one. How many folks come from a Baptist background in the room? Praise God for you. Anybody Presbyterian? Anybody Methodist? Anybody Pentecostal? Episcopalian? Catholic? Anglican, Lutheran. Okay, if hands went up all those times, different ones. Somebody asked me one time, says, what are you? I said, I am Presby, Babto, Methacostal. <laughs> Literally. I mean, I've grown up and had a little bit of taste of all of it. I've studied, I've read. My, my theology is, uh, I mean, it's like, it's like one of those cooking shows where they say, this is your stuff, now make a meal out of it. And I feel like that's my, because I've studied the Word and the sovereignty of God jumped off the page when I was in college and I saw that God really rules in our lives. And yet, when it comes, my, my salvation theology is Presbyterian, but yet the experience of that in the new birth is very Baptist and it's by grace and, and it's water baptism for believers. We dedicate babies, we don't baptize them. I don't want to offend you this morning, but that's just, this is how we do it. Come on, all right? Okay. That's our conviction. Um... I, I am old school Wesleyan Methodist in that I think there needs to be spiritual disciplines and we need to be holy unto the Lord. And I'm Pentecostal in the sense that I think we need the Spirit of God moving and leading us in every step we take. Now, there's something in every one of those bunches that you'd probably think about a negative thing, and that's not what I'm talking about. There's an extreme in every one of those bunches. And maybe you're a Catholo, Luther, Nazar. Costal or whatever, who knows? Whatever your, your, your group is. I failed to mention the Nazarenes this morning. Anybody from the Nazarene church? Okay. Maybe CME, AME, African American brothers and sisters? Okay. Kojic? Man, I love my Kojic brothers and sisters. I grew up going to the Kojic church on Sunday night in Memphis. That's where I got all this excitement. <laughs> Jumped on the Hammond and played with them a little bit and shouted with them, had a good time. I'm I just, I just so glad that the body of Christ is so diverse and it's bigger than all of us. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing me this morning? All right. Denominational. There are things that we won't take time to argue over. There are essentials of the faith that we must have unity in. 
I, I, I won't set an appointment and meet with you to argue about the, the blood of Jesus. It's necessary. God's son had to be sacrificed. His blood had to be shed. Uh, he was born of a virgin. Uh, if you don't believe that, I love you. But you know what? There's some, there are some things to what it means to be a Christian. And if you don't ascribe to those, you're not by any definition a Christian. That's just clear. I, I, I don't want to be offensive in the sense of honoring a great man who passed this morning, John McCain, who was a maverick who would stand up and declare his convictions, sometimes against his own Republican Party. And he was a statesman in that he would reach across the aisle and he would build consensus and was a truly classy leader. I think the Senate has lost a tremendous great man. And I pray that they're able to replace him with someone that's just half the quality and character of a man that John McCain is. And I believe he knows the Lord. I believe he's in, in his eternal reward with the Lord. This morning, I believe that we need to learn to reach across the aisle to folk that are different from us and embrace diversity in our community. In, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, things that don't make a difference in your salvation, whether the kingdom is now or not yet, or whether it's uh, pre-millennial or post-millennial or amillennial, whether you believe in a rapture or not, and if you do, if it's pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, or no-trib, whether you speak in tongues or not, whether you think the gifts are for today, whether you're in a church that you think women can have something to say or not, whether, whether, you are, whether, whether men can have long hair and you think that's a sin or it's not, there's all kind of things that there can be disagreement about, whether, whether you drink alcohol or you don't. And I'll just tell you, every one of those things I just mentioned, you can go to the Word and you can pull out your proof text and so can someone else come from the other side and there, there's always going to be some disagreement. So we have to have liberty in the non-essentials. We have to recognize that the body of Christ is bigger than any one group. And the group that you were a part of that told you y'all were the only ones going to heaven, I'm sorry, that's just stupid. It's wrong. There are a lot of born-again people in every group. And if there weren't some born-again people there, if that thing would have already been hit by a lightning bolt and burnt up. Because they're the salt that's keeping it alive somewhere. Come on, somebody. Age, age, we get prejudiced about age. I, you know, I, I want to have a church that is multi-generational. I want to have a church where the brand new babies, Olivia Wilson is visiting the house this morning. She's the newest member of Victory Family. Now, I'm not going to point out anybody who's the oldest one here, but because we're not going to do it, no, male or female, either one. But just I remember when in my 40s, and I started to get some little gray hairs, and, and, and Dawn went herself and bought me some just for men, and she said, put this on. And I think it was just probably her own wrestling with getting older and not mine because I didn't care. And so I did it for three or four years, and I just finally said, you know what, i got to quit because I'm looking at my older brother who is prematurely white. He's Santa Claus, Jim. My older brother, 14 years older than me, and he turned white beard, white hair, uh, you know, in his late 40s, 50s, beautiful beard and hair. And, and, and I'm looking and I'm thinking, you know, if I don't quit this now, when I do quit it, it's going to be so bad, they're going to think they're seeing a ghost in the pulpit. <laughs> so I quit it in my 40s and I quit putting the stuff on my beard and I quit putting the stuff on my hair and I said, I'm going to embrace the gray. Glory to God. I'm going to, I'm going to put on my inner George Clooney. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> when you look in the mirror, who do you, who's your doppelganger? I'm, I'm just sure that I look like George. Don't, don't make fun of me now. I'm just teasing. But, but the whole point is, is that we all, we're all aging. And, and I remember when I first came back here, and I was 28 years old when we had the vision to plant this church, and it was December of, 
1988 and about a dozen people came to my mom's house at 300 South Center and, and they had called a week or two early and we set an appointment after Christmas and we sat down there in the living room of my mom and dad's house and we had a five-hour dialogue back and forth asking questions and sharing the vision and all this. And through that five hours of talking, I happened to say, I, I really want to plant a church that targets young families with children. And I didn't think anything about it. And I wasn't just doing that because I was a young family with children. I was 28 at the time. But I was thinking about how we can extend the church of Jesus Christ. Because if we don't keep reaching to the younger ones and the newer ones and those that are just born and the teenagers that are out here being lured into the world by all kinds of temptation, if we don't provide them a place where they can come and be, feel loved and be accepted and we keep reaching even though we, we, we want to respect and build a culture that respects the gray hairs? I, I, I believe that. I, I, I'm believing God for a culture in this church that is, that is multi-age, that, that is literally from the, the baby that is one day old to the saint that's 120. And we lean into those that are elders that are elderly because they have wisdom and experience and they've been there and done that and they've got the t-shirt and they've, saw, they've seen what happened when they made those choices, but yet we appreciate the youth and the energy and the vitality and the vision. We appreciate the middle-aged folks because they're the folks in the church that got some money to work with, hallelujah. And they got a voice and they got an idea. Everybody's got something. Come on, are you hearing me this morning? But I remember saying that in that meeting, and, and my mom got offended. She was in her 60s. She was in her 60s, and so the people all leave, and we're all excited, thinking we've had an amazing time. And mom and Aunt Lucille are at the kitchen table, and they said, well, we don't know that if this is for us. We probably need to go somewhere so y'all can just have your little youth meeting that you're going to have. I said, Mama, and I just told her what I just told you. Now, I don't want to offend anybody, but li listen to me. If you want a church where it all ends up with it's a bunch of little 80-year-old women, and thank God for the 80-year-old women, don't hear me wrong. Do not get offended at me. Don't say what I didn't say. But if all we've got is that, we've lost the generation around us. We have to keep reaching to the families and to the teenagers and to the children and to the babies. And we have to keep ministering and loving and respecting the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90-year-olds so that we can see that the kingdom of God is about that whole spectrum. Come on, somebody. We have to embrace diversity. You know what, if, if your worship style is more hymn related, let me tell you, I've been working on it. I've, I've told our musicians, let's learn some of the good old hymns and let's kind of modernize them just a little bit so that it's got a little bit different flow, but we still sing those great, amazingly sound theological words. Last Sunday we closed with, Come Thou Fount. Haven't done that in years. I love it. We sang Cornerstone in the same service. Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And I, I, I want to bring all of that together. I want this amazing stew, this glorious mixture of new and present, current sound of worship, but also some of the great historically valid, substantial theologically, some of those great hymns that you can't never get away from. Are you hearing me this morning? And I, now, next thing is race. Race is not even a Bible word. Search it from Genesis to Revelation. The word does not appear in the Bible. Race, the concept of race, is not biblical. We read it this morning, out of every nation, kindred, tribe, people, and nation, tongue. 
And what I want to say to you is the divine desegregation that God is bringing us to is to, to show us that as it is in heaven, so should it be on earth. Dr. Martin Luther King said the most segregated hour in America is still Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Everybody goes to their own churches. White have theirs, black have theirs. Korean Presbyterians have theirs. You know, I understand when you've moved from a foreign country that you want to maybe for a little while speak a a language you understand to kind of get acclimated. But after a while, you kind of have to spread out a little bit. And our vision here is to embrace that, to embrace this community, to embrace red and yellow, black and white. And, And I want you to see that we're not just all a bunch of redneck Delta Dannys. But there's some Delta Darquans that we need to touch and love with the love of Jesus. Are y'all okay? Does that offend anybody for me to get that, that real? Come on. Look at this scripture. Acts chapter 17. It says, God who made the world and everything in it since he is Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made with hands. As wonderful as that building is out there, unless y'all are in it, it's not the, there's not the manifest presence of God. When you guys show up, here comes the presence of the Lord. Nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives life to all. He gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from, say it, one blood, keep going, every nation of men. Say it again. One blood, every nation of men. Say it again. One blood, every nation of men. King James says, from one man. Who is that one man? Adam. I'm probably going to offend a couple white folk, but how many of you know if the Garden of Eden was in Africa and Adam was made from the soil of Africa, Adam was probably a black man. Oh, it's too quiet in here. You better remember yourself, Pastor Michael. No, this is not a white church. This is out of every kindred, people, nation. And he made from one blood every nation of men. That means my blood is not any better than your blood. Where's Geraldine? Geraldine, where's where's Geraldine? Come up here. Come up here, Geraldine. Come on. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Stuber, come up here. Come quickly. Darren, come up here. Come help Geraldine up here. Darren, I want you to come up here too. God loves bald people too. Look at this red-headed Scottish Highlander right here. Look at this, this handsome, bald brother right here. Look at this amazing, beautiful queen. Is Geraldine not the most wonderful, beautiful, and so is, so is Liz? You know, I, I wanted, my, my youth guy had to leave. They had three babies sick at home. The Sotos had to leave. And so I wanted my Latino preacher up here. And I wanted Mark Quentin, my, my, resident, my resident Cherokee Indian in the house, so I could literally go red and yellow, black and white. How many of you know this is the family of God? And when you look at the family of God, do you know in the Bible there's only one human race and there's actually only two men in the earth? Either you're in Adam where the Bible says all die or you're in Christ where all have been made alive. And guess what? Come over here, Liz. Do you know everybody in this family right here yes is the new race of new creations. Come on. We're a new creation in Christ. Hallelujah. Thank you, folks. Help Miss Geraldine down. Here, Liz, I'll help you too. Are you fine? Okay. All right, give them a hand this morning as they go back to their seats. 
What is my point? From one blood, from one man, all of the nations of the earth have come. I need, if I've been taught anything in my history that I'm any better than anybody else, I need to humbly take that to the cross and let Jesus deal with that. Now, as believers, we've got to not have prejudice against sinners. Because God wants to bring folk through that door, through the new doors in the new church, that are gripped with every kind of sin that you can imagine. Every kind of lifestyle that has them in bondage that you can name. And a whole host of them have been named in Scripture. But we want to embrace and love people. And I want you to see this morning that as the church in the South that has been gripped with churchianity and Pharisaism and judgmentalism, we've put our doctrine and our belief in front of the love of God to people. We need to embrace people. And I want you to get this this morning in my last point here. Victory is a reaching culture. Say that with me. Victory is a reaching culture. Let's get the scripture and we'll be finished. Mark chapter 12 verse 29 says, Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. He says, and you must say it with me, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And he says, the second is equally important. Say it with me, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Where along the line did we get confused and think that compassion was compromise? Where along the line did we get the sense of loving somebody in spite of something we don't approve of is ever wrong. Look at your neighbor and say, compassion is not compromise. When Jesus says, love your neighbor, he didn't say, put whatever adjective you want in front of that. Love your Baptist neighbor if you're Baptist. Love your white neighbor if you're white. No, he said, love your neighbor. That means I have to Love my atheist neighbor who doesn't even believe. If I'm going to show the love of God, then I need to love my Muslim neighbor. My compassion does not mean compromise. Now let me bring this home a little bit to you this morning. My children are 30 and 23, and they're both solid in their walk with God, but they both had some years where they were struggling a little bit and just dabbling around in just typical teenage sin. And I didn't approve of what they were doing, but I never stopped loving them. Compassion is not compromise. And when you're so hard on a legalistic tone that you can't reach out and love somebody that you don't necessarily approve of, you've missed this whole thing about the kingdom of God. Now... Next week, not next week because I'm not preaching next Sunday, I'll be in a van going to New York with some couches that Abby can't do without. And, and so the next Sunday I'll be preaching. The next one is, the first one is environment. We create an environment. It's about grace. It's about the presence of God. It's about uh, the gospel being shared. It's about the kingdom of God being proclaimed. We embrace diversity, people that believe a little bit differently about some of the non-essentials. We embrace different ages. We embrace different races. I want to say we need to just embrace folk who are into different kinds of sin than you have been. It means I need to love my atheist neighbor. It means I need to love my gay neighbor. Y'all are a little too quiet in here this morning. Now, 
if, if we can't love them and get them here where the next time I preach is engage people with the life-giving message of Jesus, I believe the gospel changes people's lives. Every one of us have come from sin of some kind. Why do we get in the church for a few minutes and all of a sudden get pious and holier than everybody else and start looking down our noses when we need to remember what God delivered us from and love everybody else that's different than we are? Come on, somebody. Love your black neighbor. Love your white neighbor. Love your red or yellow neighbor. Love your whatever. Y'all hearing me this morning? Love those neighbors as yourself. That's what the Word of the Lord says. We are a reaching culture. I just want to say, and I'm finished, this is not a maintenance culture. This is a reaching culture. We will intentionally forever keep reaching. We will keep reaching to the lost and the least and the helpless and the hopeless. This is not a maintenance culture. I, I, I want to just say this. This is kind of hard. I want to finish the message, and I hope, I, I, I hope you love me, but honestly, if you don't, I'll, I'll get over it. I'm, I'm not going to lose any sleep. I'm not here to make you happy. You are not here to make me happy. We are here to love each other and to embrace this thing called the kingdom of God and to reach out and love people and keep reaching to others. That means sometimes I have to lay down some of my own preferences. I'm 57 years old. We're doing music right now that I don't care about. I get into it anyway and I worship God whether I'm on the front row or whether I'm behind the B3 or whether I'm at another keyboard or whatever I'm doing. I just worship the Lord. Hallelujah. Because I'm all about the presence of God. And my heart is what's going to affect my realization of that more than the style of the worship that I'm singing. But I realize that if we're going to keep reaching a generation that's current, we're going to have to be current. We're going to have to bait the hook to catch the fish we're going after. And you know what? The gospel is for everybody. It's for every people, nation, race, and tongue, group, every age, every station in life. And so that means I have to be willing to say, okay, I'm not going to be selfish about how I want it. Because I'm going to be honest with you, I really, really, truly, I love some of the old hymns and I love black gospel music. And my heart is that when we get in this church, we're going to have a choir, we'll have room to do it, and we're going to learn to sing a little bit of that. We're going to have that flavor in it too. I, I, I just, mm, once in a while i got to have some home cooking because that's what I grew up in. And I love that. But I'm not going to say that every Sunday we've got to do 30 minutes of that straight because that's not everybody's cup of tea. But all I'm saying is if you'll just be willing to lay down self and say, God, we've, we're on a mission. We're a people that are sent. We are apostolic. We are called to reach into this community and we're called to break down the, the barriers and the walls of racism and age prejudice and denominational centricity and all of this kind of stuff and show people that Christians can love folks that are not like them. That's my heart. I just want to say to you, there's nothing like knowing that God embraces you. He loves you, but He doesn't approve of everything that you and I have ever done. And His compassion for you is not compromised for His holiness. If you don't remember anything I've said this morning, let that one, let that nail be driven home today. Compassion is not compromise. 
We need to love people that are different than us. People who look like, don't look like us. People who don't talk like us. People who think differently than we do. And when we do that, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit and the gospel is preached. The kingdom is advanced. The spirit and the presence of God comes and lives are transformed. And revival can come in an area. God gets it ripe and gets it ready. And revival can come and shake an area for the kingdom of God. That's what I'm praying for. I believe that God can start right here, right here on top of this new Madrid fault, right here where there's an epicenter of an earthquake that could literally shake America right at its center. I believe right here in a little church called Victory Church in Marion in West Memphis, Arkansas, that God could cause it to be the epicenter of a whole new revival that will touch the whole nation. You really believe that, Pastor? You bless God, I sure do believe that. Honest to God. I believe it can start right here, and it can start right now in my heart. And if you're sitting here today and you feel far from God, His embrace and His arms are reaching around you. Quit worrying about you got to get it all right and get approval. Just come as you are and just say, God, here I am and all my mess and my junk, my brokenness, and I give you my heart. And when you respond to His compassion, His embrace, when He reaches out to you and touches you with His life and His love, your life will never be the same. Very simply, that's how the kingdom of God begins in every individual person's heart. I'd like if you would to bow your hearts with me, please.